Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you all here with us for our Congregation of Prayer Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer Around God's Word. It's not the only way that you could pray. Certainly take the half sheet uh, that goes out in the email, it went out yesterday, or uh, uh, in your bulletin on Sunday, and take that home and pray together um, uh, alone, or with your husband or wife, or with uh, your family. I uh, encourage you to do so. I'm happy to lead you in that prayer here each day, and I know that benefits some of you too. Um, I uh, had a comment from someone that uh, I appreciated quite a bit that said that uh, they they uh, listened to a sermon more than once, and they found that they got more out of it the second time. So I think um, you know that's the the one of the advantages of all the digital technology is that it provides that kind of opportunity where um, you can go back and and uh, re-listen or rewatch. So. Uh, pray with me here and then pray again at, uh, with your family at home. That's actually what, what I do. I actually pray with the children in school too. So I do this three times a day, um, which is fine. Uh, as a pastor, of course, I enjoy doing that. But um, yeah, so I encourage you to remain in daily prayer. And God's word then will inform um, your faith in life. And we're going to talk about that actually in a few minutes. Before we do that, uh, let's do our weekly, one of the things that have we've been repeating all week. All right. First invocation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, a psalm for the week, uh, connected to the theme of wisdom from last week and the wisdom of a father to his son, um, the absolute necessity that um, parents teach their children God's word, is from Psalm 119, the second part, bait. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you, let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the just decrees of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right. And our verse for the week, we say it together. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Romans 1 verse 16. I am not ashamed or embarrassed to speak the gospel of Christ. That's the key. Because it brings me salvation, right? It saves me from my sins. And not only me, but everyone for everyone who believes. Uh, so the way that this is uh, evidenced or manifest in the life of the Christian, in the life of the Christian congregation, is that we forgive one another. right? Uh, and I don't mean that we simply say, I'm sorry, and the other person says, I'm okay. Uh, but more specifically, that you actually say, when someone says, please forgive me, I forgive you. I forgive you in the name of Jesus. right? Uh, I've been trying to coach the congregation in this for some time, um, and I'll just say it. Uh, as a pastor, I've not heard 
someone say, I forgive you, pastor. I've just not heard it. Um, and, uh, you know, that brings me actually great sorrow because I know that uh, despite the fact that uh, they continuously hear forgiveness from me, maybe they think of it as not um, as personal. I don't know. I shouldn't say I've never. I probably have, um, but not in recent history. <laughs> so, uh, called to repentance, but never forgiven, which um, that's a terrible way to go about life. Uh, but that is a part of the uh, bearing of the cross that, that uh, preachers have, is that they're given to proclaim words that they'd rather not say, um, and they're often given to bear the shame and guilt of the people um, that they'd rather not bear, right? But um, so it is. There's a, mm, We've heard about this with Moses over the last week or so, haven't we? That the people did not want to talk to Moses. They did not want to hear from Moses. They didn't like Moses. They wouldn't talk. I'm sure Moses never heard them say, I forgive you either. Right, so that is part of the burden of, of the ministry, I suppose. All right, so it is the power of, of God, and it does reconcile, um, I believe, all differences, actually. Uh, it sets aside all sin. All right, um, commandments. I've been speaking quite a bit about these, for better or for worse. Third commandment, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Fourth commandment, honor your father and your mother. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Except, of course, your pastor, that authority. Being sarcastic there? No, of course, even the pastor. Honor them, serve and obey them, love and cherish them. Right? And not out of demand, not out of compulsion, um, but out of uh, a generous heart that recognizes all authorities, and especially parents, and then all those who serve in your parents' stead as a gift to you from God. Um, that's what fear and love means, by the way, and we're going to speak about this in regards to the sermon tomorrow. Um, to fear and love God means to recognize that everything that God protects with the Ten Commandments, he's protecting because they are gifts from him. right? But our fear and love is often placed in trust then, by extension, placed outside of God and actually in the very thing that's given. So we fear our parents, right? But not because they were given to us by God, but because, um, you know, for other reasons. Maybe we fear their loss or we fear um, their their anger or something like that. All right, well, we'll talk more about that tomorrow. Um, not so much today. Well, actually, maybe a little bit today yet. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see where this goes. All right, uh, and of course, the third commandment we've talked quite a bit about despising preaching in his word. Again, we, we should fear and love God, recognize that the Sabbath is given to us by God, for us, for our benefit. Um, not for God's benefit, but for ours, of course, as Jesus says. And uh, uh, of course, because we fear and love other things, then that gets in the way of God's word and takes priority over God's word. My own emotional reaction, um, uh, psychology, uh, I'm trying to think what else could get in the way of God's word. Uh, practical life advice, um, uh, or even just the words that this world um, speaks. All right? You know, we should fear and love God so that we listen to him. And he and his word take priority over um, anything else that we hear or speak or think or even feel. All right. So that's the third and fourth commandment. That'll tidy that up for today, or for this week, I should say. Next week, we'll move on to the fifth and sixth commandment. So um, God protecting life and protecting marriage and family. But that'll be next week. Um, by the way, it's, it is worth mentioning here before we move too far along and that the commandments always accuse. We've mentioned that a few times this week. And um, 
we often want to sideline God's law because we don't want to be accused. And that's a dangerous gambit, I would suggest, because um, sin left unconfessed is sin left unforgiven. I think I said that yesterday, so there it is again for you. It isn't that Jesus can't forgive or doesn't forgive or didn't die for that sin, um, but refusal to confess it um, means it's still sitting in your conscience, and we'll talk about that here in a moment. First, let's hear tomorrow's Old Testament and epistle reading, and then I'm going to try to tie these things together in a way maybe that we haven't done before. Okay. First uh, Kings 17, then the word of the Lord came to him, Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. See, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her household, oh, she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. All right. So uh, the big theme of tomorrow's gospel text, of course, is anxiety and fear. Worrying about uh, tomorrow, worrying about uh, providing for yourself and for your family today. Um, these sorts of worries uh, lead us to despair of faith. Because, again, we're not putting our fear, love, and trust in God to provide, but rather putting it uh, in our own resources or the resources of this world. Right, And in this case, there's a drought. And the drought is a result of um, actually the word that Elijah had spoken by way of the Lord uh, of judgment against Ahab, the, the terrible king, and his wife Jezebel. So there is this drought, and as a drought, there's very little food. Um, he is taken to this place of Zarephath by the Lord, right, by the direction of the Lord, and there um, he commands her <laughs> to provide for him, right? Uh, and as, um, as a prophet of the Lord, then she recognizes, even though she's a foreigner, she recognizes that he um, has been sent with God's command, right? And at, at the Lord's command, um, she does what seems unthinkable. She she serves the food, all the food, all the flour that she has left, um, even to Elijah, sparing even less than what um, would be enough for one meal for she and her son for their final meal. Right? And of course, then the word um, from the Lord is, I will provide for you. This You could summarize this reading as, um, give us this day our daily bread. Right. That should be <laughs> the prayer of uh, the widow each day. That doesn't obligate, or excuse me, that doesn't negate her uh, obligation to work and to find um, food, right? To seek it out. It doesn't just drop in your lap, uh, but believing still that God provides uh, through the means that He has set before you, right? And the first being prayer, actually. So uh, one of the sources of anxiety, of course, is the stuff of the body. 
And uh, I would suggest, and Jesus would too, and in the text for Matthew 6 for tomorrow, that it is the things of the body, and especially in a broad category called wealth, um, are the things that makes us make us most anxious and fearful. Um, and that's, um, yeah, this will probably come out in the sermon, that's true for our households, of course, you know, that there be... Um, We'd be provided for in our longevity, a place to live and clothing, shoes, food, drink, all of that, that God has promised us, first article of the creed. Um, But it also then affects the institutions that we um, care about. So um, certainly the Christian congregation, the day school, and these things, it's ultimately always wealth or the lack thereof um, that makes us fearful and anxious. The consequence of that, and this is where the sermon's directing so far, is that then we uh, we lash out? We look for places to put our fear and um, our anxiety, places to blame. But if it's God who we should fear and love, then it's God that we should blame for these things, and say, God, why have you forsaken us? When will you provide for us? Where is the where are the things that we need? Um, we're lamenting a lack of students. Why don't we cry out to the Lord to provide us students? Right? We're lacking. Uh, we're lamenting the. Um, uh, that we haven't had new members join, for example. Okay, well then cry out to the Lord for that. Of course, we don't want them for their financial well-being uh, resources, but it, that may be a side benefit that the Lord then provides for us in another in other ways, whether it be uh, wealth or um, um, volunteer abilities or uh, leadership capacity or whatever it is, right? We can cry out to the Lord for that if he's, he's the one we're supposed to fear and love, right? Okay. So that's exactly what Elijah does. He reframes her lament. I don't have what I need. I'm going to die, right? And yet the Lord God lives. Well, that's a good thing. Uh, With a word, God will provide for you, right? The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. All right. All right. One of the evidences of of our unbelief, our lack of faith, our uh, unwillingness to trust in God is that we don't actually then take care of the things that God has given us to care for. We talked about this in regards to the third commandment throughout the week, being attentive um, to God's word, which he has entrusted to us, and then we neglect it, we refuse to hear it, despise it, um, to learn it, right? Rather than learn it, we despise it, that sort of thing. Uh, But here we're going to talk about that in regards to um, authorities, which I mentioned would come back, and here it is, Galatians 5 uh, through 6. 525 and following. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, or walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, if, brothers, in other words, Christians, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have, or he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived; God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh corruption, and he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. All right. Um, so one of the ways that uh, fear, love, and trust in God, especially in regards to physical life, um, 
and the things of life, so food, drink, clothing, shoes, house, home, um, ultimately all under the category of wealth, one of the ways that you can, and God would instruct you here by way of his apostle, uh, to, to not put your fear, love, and trust in the thing, but actually into God, is to not hold too tightly onto it. Now, this is a controversial kind of way of speaking, um, but the best way to not love money is to give it away. <laughs> the best way to uh, not love stuff um, is to provide for others, right? To be to be generous and to support here those of the household of faith. So we're talking about fellow Christians, especially those of our local uh, congregation. This is why I've encouraged our congregation to be uh, forthcoming and open about when they are in times of need, so that we can provide for them. All right, um, so that we don't grow weary of doing that. That we um, help each other, and of course, here um, there is that particular command which is brought out in the table of duties. What hearers owe their pastors, right? Um, that you share all good things with the one who teaches. So one of the ways that um, you can set aside your love of money or love of wealth and the fear, love, and trust that comes from that um, is, or fear and trust, I should say, um, is actually just to take care of uh, the congregation, to take care of the needs of our school, to take care of our teachers, to care, take care of your pastor, right, and his family. Um, why? So that you don't hold too tightly onto those things and uh, always think in terms of poverty and loss, but actually always give trusting. So, right? so that's one aspect here. Um, but before that, we had a conversation about um, how the Christian congregation will live and want, live towards one another. All right? And um, this is a hard one to hear, I think. Um, why? Because, again, our fear and anxiety uh, turns us towards what I would say is called the, what we might call the blame game. We're always looking for something to blame or someone to blame for our lack of, of, of hope, our lack, our lack, or well, our fear and anxiety and worry over, again, wealth or lack thereof, I guess, um, but also um, difficulty and trial. All right. And the, the answer is to be attentive to yourself. And this is a hard thing to hear, but rather than lash out at others and try to find sources of blame, um, but to be attentive to yourself. What have I done? How have I um, gotten in the way of Christ working through the word? And so that applies to the pastor. So the pastor um, needs to be self-critical, right? And also it needs others to reprove or correct the pastor so that I can hear, like when uh, I may have say, said or done something that is um, not helpful, not building up the body, all right? Uh, but so also the other direction too, that you would hear criticism and say, look, why haven't you been in church? This is not a great example to your children. This is not a great example to the congregation. Um, whether you're in a leadership role or not, it doesn't. It's not. It's, it's actually irrelevant. Um, Jesus says, "Come to church." So come to church. Right now, you hear that and you say, "Well, pastor, you're accusing me, and you don't care about you know this or that that you know um, may get in the way of me hearing God's word." And I said, "Honestly, I don't, um, because Jesus doesn't." Right? He didn't, he would not. <laughs> he doesn't put leisure on the same level as uh, hearing God's word. He doesn't put uh, work on the same level of God's word. Actually, the Sabbath is about setting aside your work for the sake of hearing preaching and, and his word. So um, that's hard. And uh, that's part of the pastor's job in particular uh, to reprove and correct and exhort. Uh, just go read St. Paul to, uh, to Timothy. All right. Uh, but that's particularly the pastor. Uh, but here again, Paul's exhorting you to think about yourself. Right. And if you are seeking to correct someone, do it in a spirit of gentleness. Um, because you probably suffer from the same sin that you're going to accuse the other of, right? That's almost always true. There's that whole uh, thing that uh, um, children are taught, right? Don't point the finger because there's 
what, three other fingers pointing back at you? <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that. Um, the Proverbs have some things to say about this and that uh, um, always go privately to the individual and don't bring witnesses if you can avoid it because the, the possibility is um, that you'll damage your own reputation uh, w- when you make a, a false accusation against others. You can see this certainly in our public context, our political context, where all sorts of accusations are levied against people. And yes, it destroys the reputation of the one that's being accused falsely, um, but it does just as much destruction to the one who makes the false accusation. They've also damaged or ruined their reputation in the process. Okay, So that's always being careful about taking things uh, before tribunals and courts and or struggle sessions or whatever you want to call them, um, because uh, there's always that kind of blowback, especially when things um, are when there's a misunderstanding. Uh, it's not necessarily falsehood or error. All right. So uh, again, to authorities and to these two readings. So what we're going to do here is we're going to, uh, by way of the large catechism on the fourth commandment, which we've been reading all week about honor your father and your mother, don't despise or anger your parents and other authorities. Uh, I want to read to you from the large catechism, Luther's exposition on this. And if you remember, the large catechism is given to um, parents in particular um, to instruct their children or to be prepared to instruct their children. It's like the teacher's manual, right? So it's for the parents' devotion so that um, when the children ask questions, they can speak um, in accordance with God's word and in a wise way and also an intelligible way about uh, their questions, which may flow from that simple explanation in the small catechism. All right. And so, of course, parents, or excuse me, uh, this is the means that I prepare to teach each part of the catechism to the children as well, as I review the large catechism as well. All right. So I'm going to read the first part, and then I'm going to jump uh, to the relevant portions that deal with what we see uh, in our Old Testament epistle and gospel for tomorrow. All right. So far, we have learned the first three commandments, which relate to God. First, with our whole heart, we trust in Trust in him, fear and love him throughout our lives, that we don't misuse his holy name in support of falsehood or any bad work, but use it to praise God and for the profit and salvation of our neighbor and ourselves. And then on holidays and when at rest, we diligently use and encourage the use of God's word so that all our actions and in our entire life is guided by it. Now follow the other seven commandments which relate to our neighbor. Among them is the first and the greatest. Honor, you shall honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you and that you may live long upon the earth. Still not sure why we shortened it, but there we are. To this position of fatherhood and motherhood, God has given special distinction above all positions that are beneath it. He does not simply command us to love our parents, but to honor them. Regarding our brothers, sisters, and neighbors in general, he commands nothing more than that we love them. In this way, he separates and distinguishes father and mother from all other persons upon earth and places them at his side. For it is a far higher thing to honor someone than to love someone, because honor includes not only love, but also modesty, humility, and submission to a hidden majesty in them. Honor requires not only that parents be addressed kindly and with reverence, but also that, both in the heart and with the body, we demonstrate that we value them very highly, and that next to God we regard them as the very highest. For someone we honor, from the heart we must also truly regard as high and great. We must therefore impress this truth upon the young, that they should think of their parents as standing in God's place. They should remember that however lowly, poor, frail, and strange their parents may be, strange, nevertheless they are the father and mother given to them by God. Parents are not to be deprived of their honor because of their conduct or their failings. Therefore we are not to consider who they are or how they may be, but the will of God who has created and ordained parenthood. 
In other respects, people are indeed all equal in God's eyes, but among humans, there must necessarily be this inequality and ordered difference. Sorry, socialists. Right? There must be this inequality and ordered difference. Therefore, God commands this order to be kept, that you may obey me as your father, and that I have supremacy. All right. Um, whew, there's so much to read. I'm going to read one more paragraph of this part, and then we're going to jump. Learn, therefore, what is the honor towards parents that this commandment requires. They must be held in distinction and esteem above all things as the most precious treasure on earth. In our words, we must speak modestly toward them. Do not address them roughly, haughtily, or defiantly, but yield to them and be silent even though they go too far. We must show them such honor also by works, that is, with our body and possessions. We must serve them, help them, and provide for them when they are old, sick, infirm, or poor. We must do all this not only gladly, but with humility and reverence as doing it before God. For the child who knows how to regard parents in his heart will not allow them to do without or hunger, but will place them above him and at his side, and will share with them whatever he has and possesses. So there's the key, right? Um, always even caring for parents. This is all before uh, the welfare state or retirement benefits, social security, this sorts of thing. Is that uh, Luther rightly recognized that the ultimately the only way um, that parents are going to be provided for is that the ones whom God has entrusted to provide for parents in their age and when they're infirm or poor um, is their children, right? That's whom he's given that gift and gives gifts to provide for. Again, this is how we can rightly understand fear and anxiety is not to just worry about a thing, but actually to take action um, with the resources God provides, trusting that he will always provide them, All right? So there's more about children. I'm going to skip ooh, a whole bunch of paragraphs, all right? We're going to talk about um, other authority. In this commandment belongs a further statement about all kinds of obedience to persons in authority who have to command and to govern. For all authority flows and is born from the authority of parents. Right? I posted something like that on Facebook uh, this week. Where a father is unable alone to educate his rebellious and irritable child, he uses a schoolmaster to teach his child. If he is too weak, he gets the help of his friends and neighbors. If he departs this life, he delegates and confers his authority and government upon others who are appointed for the purpose. Likewise, the father must have domestic manservants and maidservants under him for the management of his household. So all who call masters, we call masters, are in the place of parents and must get their power and authority to govern from them. So also men are all called fathers in the scriptures who in their government perform the functions of father and have a paternal heart toward their subordinates. From antiquity, Romans and other nations called the masters and mistresses of the household house fathers and house mothers. They called their national rulers and overlords fathers of the entire country. This is a great shame to us who would be Christians because we do not give them the same title or at least do not value and honor them as fathers. Right? Which is also why we elect the worst ones. Right? Maybe that's the criteria Luther would give you uh, for the next national election to think, are these people... Um, would you be comfortable um, calling them mother and father? All right. Um, so to our uh, tax, civil government, we're going to talk about, we've talked about that quite a bit. Here we go. Paragraph 151. The person who is obedient in this is willing and ready to serve. Obedient um, in civil government. He cheerfully does all that deals with honor. He knows that he is pleasing God and that he will receive joy and happiness for his reward. If he will not do this in love, but despises and resists authority or rebels, let him also know that he shall have no favor or blessing. 
where he thinks that he will gain a florin, he will lose ten times as much elsewhere, or he will become a victim to the hangman, perish by war, pestilence, or famine. He will experience no good in his children and be obliged to suffer injury, injustice, and violence at the hands of his servants, neighbors, or strangers and tyrants. For what we seek and deserve is paid back and comes home to us. All right, and that's, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. That's what Luther is running with here. All right, so do not be surprised that if you rebel, um, this has been an unfortunate uh, tendency here as of late, um, I'm often hearing in chapel and, and trying carefully to avoid further conversation, uh, children saying that the government are, are evil, uh, civil government is evil, and that all politicians are crooks, and this sort of thing. Now they're hearing it from their parents, and there's a, probably a high degree of uh, truth to it, right? Not universally, of course, but uh, maybe, all right? But the problem is, is that, as uh, our founders noted, you have to be very careful when you rebel against authority, um, even if you think you have just cause. Because uh, in re- it's like baby in bathwater kind of situation. Rejecting authority um, has its consequences. And it doesn't matter which authority we're talking about, civil authority, um, the authority of our parents, or um, the authority, say, of the, the office of the ministry, the pastoral office. If you reject that office, there will be consequences. Um, and uh, I'll try to avoid any kind of personal examples. But uh, um, you know, if you have an argument with your pastor and uh, your children know about it and hear about it, don't be surprised that your children also reject the pastor, right? All right, so there's that kind of blowback, if you like, and we want to avoid that in particular. All right, so there's Galatians 7, um, implicitly suggested, and uh, let's see, I think our gospel text is going to be even directly quoted in here. Let me see if I can find it. Mm, Yeah, there it is. All right, yet there is, uh, well, we have to go back one, one paragraph. Paragraph 158, so we have two kinds of fathers presented in this commandment, fathers in blood and fathers in office, fathers in blood, fathers in office, or those who have the care of the family and those who have the care of the country. All right, so, so far he's covered those two, two kinds of father. Besides there, um, these, there are also spiritual fathers, all right? So we've got our earthly fathers, we've got civil fathers of a sort, right, government, and then we have, now we have spiritual fathers. They are not like those in the papacy who have had um, themselves called fathers but have performed no functions of the fatherly office. For the only ones called spiritual fathers are those who govern and guide us by God's word. Govern and guide by God's word, law and gospel. In this sense, St. Paul boasts his fatherhood in 1 Corinthians 4.15 where he says, I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now since they are fathers, they are entitled to their honor even above all others. But to spiritual fathers, the least amount of honor is bestowed. The way the world knows for honoring them is to drive them out of the country and to begrudge them a piece of bread. Luther's being a little sarcastic. In short, spiritual fathers must be, as St. Paul um, uh, said, like the filth of the world in everybody's refuse and foot rag. Ouch. Yet, there is need that this truth about spiritual fatherhood also be taught to the people. For those who want to be Christians are obliged to think are obliged in God's sight to think them worthy of double honor who minister to their souls. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. They are obligated to deal with them and provide for them. For that reason, God is willing to bless you enough and will not let you run out. But in this matter, everyone refuses to be generous and resists. All are afraid that they will perish from bodily needs and cannot now support one respectable preacher, where formerly they they filled ten potbellies. 
Because of this, we also deserve for God to deprive us of his word and blessing and to allow preachers of lies to arise again and lead us to the devil. In addition, they will drain our sweat and blood. All right, so again, Luther says there's that blowback. There's a consequence. Reject the pastor whom God sent. Well, he'll move on, but what will replace him? Uh, a preacher of lies um, who will make our life miserable. All right, so be careful what you wish for. But those who keep God's will and commandment in sight have this promise. Everything they give to temporal and spiritual fathers and whatever they do to honor them shall be richly repaid them. They will not have bread, clothing, and money for a year or two, but will have long life, support, and peace. They shall be eternally rich and blessed. So just do what is your duty. Let God manage how he will support you and provide enough for you. All right. So don't be worried about tomorrow. Don't be worried about, I mean, even the life of the congregation or the enrollment of the school. Do the work that God has set before you. That's the promise, right? He has promised to care for you in your work. Right? And, and leave it to him. Right? Since he has promised it and has never lied yet, he will not be found lying to you. Titus 1. This ought to encourage us to, and give us hearts that would melt in pleasure and love for those whom we honor. So again, those three kinds of, of parents. Um, our earthly parents, our civil parents, right? And of course, our spiritual parents, our spiritual fathers. We ought to raise our hands and joyfully thank God who has given us such promises. For such promises, we ought to run to the ends of the world, to the remotest parts of India. For although the whole world should work together, it could not add an hour to our life or give us a single grain from the earth, right? So don't worry about tomorrow. Who uh, Jesus talks about about the span of our life in our gospel text for tomorrow. Who can add a year to, to the span of life? But God wishes to give you everything exceedingly and abundantly according to your heart's desire. He who despises and casts this promise to the winds is not worthy ever to hear a word about God. More than enough has now been stated for all those who belong under this commandment. So it would be well for us to preach to the parents also, but also to those who bear their office. Tell them how they should behave toward those who are given to them for their governance. That would be their children. This is not stated in the Ten Commandments, but it is still abundantly commanded in many places in Scripture. God wants to have this included in this commandment when he speaks to father and mother. He does not wish to have rogues and tyrants in the office of government. He does not assign this honor to them, that is, power and authority to govern, so that they have themselves worshipped. But they should consider that they are obligated to obey God. First of all, they should seriously and faithfully fulfill their office, not only to support and provide for the bodily necessities of their children, servants, subjects, and so on, but most of all, they should train them to honor and praise God. Proverbs 22. Therefore, do not think that this matter is left to your pleasure and arbitrary will. This is God's strict command and order, to whom also you must give an account for it. All right. So then there's all sorts of conversation about how people misunderstand the, um, the gift of children and how they get misused and abused by their parents, etc. So that's the large catechism. It's really profound. Um, Luther provides great insight from God's word uh, to further expand what seems to be a, actually a relatively simple command. Um, but we want to take note here that uh, most of our anxiety or worry or fear, I would suggest, um, comes from us putting our fear and love where it ought not be, and we do not trust God to provide for us. Um, and so we look to our own works, we look to our own efforts, we look to our own behavior as either um, the reason why we have success uh, or we make gains, or, or also the reason why we fail to receive and fail to take, uh, to, to receive what we, what we ought. Right? Now, on the other hand, the Lord has given us personal accountability within our vocation, right? So each one must bear his own load, right? But there, yes, we fall short, 
And that's where uh, we must always put our fear and love and trust in God to provide uh, for what we cannot do and what he has not already given. All right? Um, so, uh, yeah, the world is quite fearful and quite anxious. And that's, uh, I'm, well, I would suggest it's actually the, one of the chief tools of the demons and the demonic host uh, to drive us away from faith in Christ. So I'm um, actually going to share something with you that I think will help you um, understand this in regards to the response to COVID. I'm just going to put it in the chat. I'm not going to talk about it, but uh, if you want more on, on the way that fear uh, is used to, um, to bring about our hurt and harm and not actually to drive us to faith in Christ, um, this is a video with Joseph Latipo, interview with Joseph Latipo, who's the Surgeon General for uh, the state of Florida, and talking about um, his kind of uh, about face when it came to understanding um, public health. All right. Um, and he talks about the use of fear to really drive people away from uh, the things that actually benefit us. All right. So you can go check that out if you like. I found it uh, insightful. And maybe his book would be worth uh, picking up as well for like a secular view on the same topic. Good. Um, so hopefully that'll help you prepare for tomorrow's preaching. And they have a lot more. Um, of the groundwork done so that you understand uh, the kind of things that I'll be saying. And uh, let's uh, move on to the hymn for the week. Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. commemoration for the day. Let me grab my book. I know it's not Rosh Hashanah, um, but uh, you can go read about that if you want to. It also is that for uh, for our Jewish friends, I suppose. Um, but today is the day that we remember and thank God for his servant Cyprian, St. Cyprian of Carthage, uh, who was a pastor and martyr in the third century. 
Cyprian was born toward the beginning of the third century in North Africa, possibly in the city he would later serve as bishop, Carthage. His birth name was Thasius, but after being converted to the Catholic faith by a presbyter named Cyprian, he honored his father in the faith by taking his name. Hey, there you go, honoring your father in the faith. Take his name. Before his conversion, he had been an orator and teacher of rhetoric, quite like another famous North African, St. Augustine, would be years later, 100 years later or so. Cyprian was converted when he was approximately 35 years old, receiving the grace of holy baptism. Only a short time later, he was made a deacon and then ordained a presbyter. About AD 248, he was acclaimed the Bishop of Carthage. This rapid rise in churchly office was not without some significant opposition, however, and for years people murmured against him. Right? Think here of Paul to Timothy, since Timothy was so young as well. During the persecution under Emperor Decius, he fled Carthage. He returned when the storm had ended and then had to deal with the aftermath. What should be done for those Christians who had lapsed in fear during the persecution? Now, there's the theme of fear again. Yet now in repentance, begged readmission to the church. Cyprian walked a middle way between severe strictness and simply ignoring what they'd done. He helped forge a penitential discipline that would welcome them back as members of the church and yet only fully restore them after they had given suitable demonstration of their faithfulness to Christ. All right, so this is why, especially even with adults who are once Lutheran, we take the time, if they've been absent from church, um, to go through a period of catechesis. That's also for repentance. Right? St. Cyprian wrote many important theological works. His treatise on the unity of the Catholic Church remains a great classic. There he insists that no one can have God for his father who does not have the church as his mother and that there simply is no salvation outside the Church of Christ, or you might say just out of God's Word. He also wrote a fine treatise on the Lord's Prayer. After Tertullian, he is one of the chief forgers of the Church's Latin theological vocabulary. In AD 256, a new persecution broke out under Emperor Valerian. Popes Stephen I and Sixtus II both fell to martyrdom. When the persecution spread to North Africa, Cyprian was among those who simply refused to sacrifice to the emperor. In AD 258, he was arrested and finally beheaded. His only response to the sentence of death was Deo gratias, that is, thanks be to God. He stripped his own clothes off, put on the blindfold, and stretched out his neck for the sword. Deo gratias, thanks be to God. Wow. So, let us pray. Almighty God, you gave your servant Cyprian boldness to confess the name of our Savior Jesus Christ before the rulers of this world and courage to die for the faith he proclaimed. Give us strength always to be ready with a reason for the hope that is in us and to suffer gladly for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. All right, we'll pray the collect for this week one more time. O Lord, keep your church with your perpetual mercy, and because of our frailty we cannot but fall. Keep us ever by your help from all things hurtful, and lead us to all things profitable to our salvation. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the third commandment, you teach us that your word makes our lives and the day of worship holy. Your word creates repentance and faith in Christ in our hearts. Your word gives us true help, comfort, peace, and strength. Your word brings Jesus to us for the sake or for all the blessings of his salvation. Thank you for the rest and peace your word gives. For Jesus' sake, forgive us for despising preaching and your word. Grant us to hold your word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in the fourth commandment you teach us that our parents are your gifts to us. Through them you give us life, gave us life, and through them you care for us and provide us with all that we need. 
Thank you for our father and mother. Forgive them when they sin and strengthen them with your grace to be faithful parents. Forgive us for every sin of disobedience, disrespect, and dishonor shown to our parents and all those in authority over us. By your grace, help us to truly honor our parents, especially when they fail, and to always serve and obey, love and cherish them according to your word and for Jesus' sake. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We pray today for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. We pray for the households of our church this week with Ashley, Jim, Alan and Jane, James and Elaine, Jesse and Lisa, James and Karen. Pray for our catechumens. We pray for those ill receiving treatment and recovering, especially Pam, Joe, Kelsey, Dennis, Naomi, Christopher, Marcy, and Sophie, Brad, Ron, Doug, and Bev, Donna, Jim, Pat, and Wendell, Darlene, and District President Willie. Continue to pray for our homebound and for the missions of uh, the missions of the church, especially this week uh, with our friends, the Federowitz families, and their work as Bible translators. We pray um, for the Tupper family, and we continue to pray for all students and teachers uh, who have returned to class. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, that's our congregation of prayer for today. Um, Saturday, September 16th. It's good to have you with with us, whether you are watching live or you're watching later or you're listening to the podcast version. Um, Or if you're going back and re-listening or re-watching again because you want to try to latch on to some of those things, um, I appreciate uh, you being with us. I hope that that when I'm called to speak uh, the Lord's Word in judgment, that you don't take it as a personal affront, even if it does reveal a personal sin, but that you hear that as the Lord's call to repent and to believe the gospel again, to live in the forgiveness of sins, and to let his Spirit have his way with you, um, that you do live in accordance uh, with his Word. Um, as best he provides. All right? Uh, Don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be fine. (laughs) That's the sermon text tomorrow. Don't be, tomorrow will be great. Uh, It'll be a beautiful day. And of course, we'll we'll take comfort in God's word. So I hope to see you in church, in person, to receive not only God's word, of course, preached and taught, but um, the sacrament, which you can't receive virtually. So uh, you need Christ's body and blood. So come and receive. Lord be with you all. And God willing, we'll see you in the morning. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.